Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Right now, the challenges of Europe, the many challenges, and as we heard from David Folkerts Landau of Deutsche Bank uh, many, many months ago on a difficult February morning, a Europe that at some point will need to rebuild, and that includes finance, which means it's an appropriate moment to speak with the finance minister of Germany, Christian Linder. Here now in Berlin, Maria Tadeo. Good morning, Tom, and good morning. And yes, we are joined by the German finance minister, Christian Lindner. Herr Lindner, how are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. And of course, when I was preparing this interview and I knew that you were coming to our studios in Berlin, I thought, what is the first question I can ask Christian Lindner? And the answer is obvious. Inflation. When you hear, and I don't want to get you to comment on the ECB, but when you hear Christian Lagarde say inflation is now our number one priority, we have to bring it down. There's no questions. Is that a good thing for you? Yes, of course. I completely support uh, the language of the ECB and uh, its measures. It's uh, our top priority uh, as well to bring down the inflation uh, rates. They are a serious risk for the economic uh, development, for people and uh, businesses, the investment uh, conditions. And so it's our fiscal priority to reduce inflation rates. It's the responsibility of ECB, but we play our role as uh, German government and European governments. So as a German finance minister, this is where you say this is top of my agenda. It's inflation. It's top of my agenda, not only now in December, when we hosted the G7 meeting in Bonn and Petersburg, we underlined that bringing down inflation should be our top priority. This uh, has been before the policy change of the uh, central banks. And I think um, it proved uh, to be right to do so. So you say we, we were proven right on, on the analysis. That's for the inflation. But then there's a the growth story. And you know there's a lot of negativity around the German story on the medium term and the short term, perhaps. It's the energy crisis. It's potentially the blackouts, the gas. When you look at the German economy, do you worry about a recession? Do you predict yourself a recession? This year uh, has been a difficult, of course. Um, we were harmed by the uh, Russian energy war um, due to uh, our too high um, dependence on uh, Russian energy imports, of course. Would you say that? Yes, um, uh, had been a mistake, but now we have changed our policies. 
Um, with light speed, uh, we are improving our energy infrastructure. Uh, we are bringing uh, more capacity of uh, renewable energy to the grid. And well, who thought that uh, Germany uh, would be uh, able uh, to build new LNG terminals in less than one year? You have done it. And, uh, and I assure you, um, this is the, the um, very best moment uh, to invest in Germany. This is the very best moment to buy bonds. The best of international <laughs> business is watching you right now, and that's your pitch. But let me ask you again, though, on the recession, is there too much negative, ne again, negativity built on the German story? Some people say this recession is inevitable. For you, is that story overblown? If there is, you will recover fast. We will recover fast, and in the midterm, um, um, I expect a very positive perspective for the German economy. Look, um, we are uh, improving the um, uh, framework conditions mm -hmm. for uh, private businesses, uh, immigration um, into the labor market. Uh, will be um, less bureaucratic than it uh, had been. Um, we um, uh, invest a lot public and private money in the transition of uh, our economy. Uh, there will be uh, some uh, tax benefits for investors in Germany. So um, after fighting uh, inflation, my Second priority is strengthening the German competitiveness, mm -hmm. and we will do. And you, and you say that we'll do it. And, and of course, the crucial question, especially for Made in Germany, I know you like Made in Germany. You, you speak highly about it, and I know you particularly like cars. But my question to you is, when you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, can Germany stay competitive when you have the United States coming in with such an aggressive policy mm. on subsidies? Is that something that worries you? Are you on the phone with mm. your U.S. counterparts? What do you want to see out of this? On the one hand, uh, the German car manufacturers um, are competitive. Mm. I think they they put, they no, we we mustn't fear uh, Tesla. Tesla produces uh, in uh, Germany uh, as well near near Berlin, but I think the the uh, German uh, manufacturers they are innovative and competitive. And, um, well, they have plants uh, in uh, the United States uh, as well. So I think they are less harmed by the Inflation uh, Reduction Act mm -hmm. than public opinion in Germany thinks. But on the other hand, on the other hand, um, I take the Inflation Reduction Act uh, seriously. I have my concerns uh, regarding uh, a fair level playing field between the U.S. single market and uh, the European Union. And this is why we need to um, negotiate. I'm in favor for waivers for the uh, European businesses uh, in the U.S. Uh, so you market. So you waivers. You don't want a trade war. What you want to get is, we, a, is we a waiver in 2023. We, we have to avoid any kind of trade war. No trade in, war. Instead of trade war, we need trade diplomacy. We need new free trade um, agreements. At least we have to make efforts uh, to find a level playing field mm -hmm. in the perspective of a free trade between U.S. and European and, Union. And what do you say perhaps to some critics in the United States that are you, yes, Europe is in a mess, but this is not our fault. Why should we give you any waivers? Mm, 
value partners, um, uh, who we are, should be preferred trade partners, mm -hmm. I think. My, my vision is, is a free trade zone of liberal democracies um, in the world. And one of the first steps could be uh, to improve the trade relationship between United States and European Union. Um, we would benefit both from, from uh, this idea. And, well, I think there is an openness on the U.S. side when I remind you of Janet Jelen's idea of friend-shoring. And Inflation Reduction Act should be reconsidered with um, um, respect of uh, friend-shoring. And you're optimistic that can happen. Let's talk about uh, today President Zelensky will be uh, meeting with President Biden. Mm -hmm. Of course, it does feel the Ukrainians worry about lack of momentum and lack of support as time in the war drags on. When it comes to Germany and the European Union, will you foot this bill no matter what? And there's a very serious question about the reparations and what to do with the Russian central bank assets. In your view, Who's going to pay for this? Because we're talking about potentially a trillion dollars in, in reconstruction. It's a massive bill. At the moment, there are the, the current needs of the Ukraine, uh, which have to be uh, met. The European Union has uh, decided on um, the macroeconomic assistance uh, plus mm -hmm. uh, 18 billion euros uh, next year um, to... Um, uh, support uh, the state of uh, Ukraine, and we will um, continue to support Ukraine with uh, military uh, goods such as uh, artillery. And then, in the midterm, I hope the sooner the better, then we will have to find ways for the reconstruction of Ukraine. And, okay, there are reparations, mm -hmm. there is um, um, macroeconomic mm -hmm. uh, assistance, we have the multilateral uh, banks, we have the international financial institutions such as the IMF, and the Ukrainian economy itself. itself. Mm -hmm. I think they have um, very good perspectives, they have uh, natural resources, um, qualified labor uh, force, so I think... They have a very good perspective after the war. I have to let you go, but I have to ask you this question very briefly, yes or no. What's going to recover faster, the German economy or the German national team? Because the World Cup was not good for you. <laughs> the economy. The economy, wow, that's a strong bet, because yeah. you have two years until the Euro Cup, and you host yeah. it right here yeah. in this country. Economy, uh, economy will recover faster. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's a good prediction to make. Well, Mr. Lindner, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Always thank good you. to see you here in our studios thank in Berlin. Tom? You are ruthless. I mean, Maria, it's just, 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 just. <laughs> I have to a, do it. I Tom. just can't wait for the friendly of Germany and Spain. It's just going to be. We're going to have team coverage. Maria, today we were nil nil with Mr. Lindner of the German uh, government, their finance minister. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations. Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is a joy, and for, jo uh, for Global Wall Street, you can take notes right now. PGM is prudential, and when they set up PGM and resurrected it a good number of years ago, no one could expect the total return award-winning portfolios they put together. The force behind that, the thinking behind that, was dragging from Morgan Stanley, Greg Peters over as co-CIO, and he joins this morning for a fixed income brief. Greg, I'm going to cut to the chase. You call for a radical shift next year. Where will that shift be? So I think the shift is in the bonds. Uh, so this year has been historically difficult, to state the obvious. Uh, but yield matters and starting place matters. And so if you think about just you know, the BOJ yesterday, right, we've moved from this zero to negative interest rate policy to pretty sizably positive territory for yields. And that matters a lot. Like when we were looking at the 10-year at 50 basis points, our future looked really pretty <clears throat> bleak, right? It was hard to kind of earn total return and return off of that. But where we are today, I think we're in a much better place. I think it creates much more balanced portfolios. Those who were calling for the death of fixed income were kind of right, right, for the year. But I think the reset matters a lot. And so we're pretty constructive uh, as we head into 2023. Is this a call on sovereigns, a call on credit, or a call on the whole universe? It's a sequencing of sorts. So... I think the first move is on the sovereign side. Uh, so the defensive nature of fixed income starts to assert itself. Uh, it seems like there's a high probability of a recession. Who knows? I think it's very bimodal, and so it's really difficult to ascertain. But I think that protection mechanism matters a lot into 2023. And then I think you roll into credit and other things. So I think it's a sequencing aspect of fixed income that provides different flavors of protection at different times throughout the course of the year. Does that sequencing rely on inflation disinflating if there's a sort of just sort of gradual and linear uh, path to a lower level for inflation? Does it have to really happen that way to make what you're saying come true? It does. I mean, I think the lesson of 2022 was stagflation, bad bad for all financial assets. Uh, even commodities started to, uh, to uh, catch the knife uh, for a little bit here uh, towards the end of the year. So I think as we move off the stagflation narrative, I think it bodes much more favorably. If we're wrong around that, and inflation is incredibly difficult to uh, forecast, of course, but it does seem like all indicators point to lower inflation in 2023. I think the tail risk that we were experiencing in 2023, I'm sorry, 2022 gets chopped off in 23, and I think that matters a lot. 
Although if you do see a stickier bottom, right, let's say we stop at three and a half percent by the end of next year. How does that leave your call? Considering that some people are talking about structurally higher inflation, giving, given some of the labor market dynamics, given the gaps there, and given the deglobalization that a lot of people are talking about. That's a clear risk, and I think that is an underappreciated risk. That said, go back to starting points. So do we think the Fed is going to move another you know, 400, 500 basis points from here? No. right? So we're talking about now incremental. Uh, I do think the markets are wrong in terms of the pricing, where uh, the, the markets are pushing back on the Fed staying higher for longer. Uh, and I don't know if I buy into that myself. I think we are in this higher... Fed rate regime, but that in and of itself isn't a bad thing for fixed income assets, where it's about roll and carry and yield and income. Um, and so I think it bodes quite favorably. Percolating is in the equities space, maybe international with weak dollar, with what we saw with Japan yesterday. International finally has a day after 10, 12, 15 years. What will international bonds do? Do they outperform price up, yield down? I still think the preferred habitat is in the U.S. I think Europe has their struggles, of course. Uh, they're fighting a different inflation monster. Right? It's, a, uh, it's a shock, right? the energy shock, very different than what we've seen here in the U.S. I think the U.S. is you know, much more on the path of normalization. The BOJ yesterday, I think, was a shock to the system in that it creates volatility that doesn't induce investment. It induces exit, right? So I think by virtue of that, the U.S. is the preferred place to be. And then if you buy into this weaker dollar story and inflation coming down global story, then EM has to outperform in that scenario. Are you expecting that spread between U.S. and Europe to close? U.S. yields lower and then actually get European yields creeping higher? Is that how that spread's going to close? I think that's right. I, but I think on the margin, you'll see a bid to the U.S. market uh, and I think Europe and sterling in the same boat where there's a tremendous amount of supply hitting the markets in 2023. There's a clearing level there. There's lots of government spending. Uh, and so I do expect things to compress uh, into 2023. Europe's in for a difficult time. That's for sure, Tom. Not just the U.K., the whole of the continent going into next year again. To see these I, numbers coming in from the ECB, uh, well, that delivery I, I, from President Lagarde, I was shocked by it last Thursday. The, I, I'm in the camp. They don't have the nominal GDP to uh, make it work, sort of like Japan. They're better than Japan. Some people disagree with me on that. They think the nominal GDP is robust. I would look at Patriot missile announcements today in Washington is linked directly into Lagarde theory. Have you seen this quote from Torsten Slock? Yeah. Apollo, what's the make important. of that? Well, this is the detail that made him acclaimed at Deutsche Bank. Um, I remember uh, hanging out with him at Davos. And, you know, when Torsten Slack speaks, fancy Davos people stop and listen. For those on radio, labor demand, 5 million people higher than labor supply, which is why wage inflation is so strong. He goes on to say the solution to the imbalance is either to increase the labor supply, for example, through higher immigration, or to lower labor demand, for example, through an increase in the unemployment rate. Greg Peters, it looks like we're leaning on the latter pretty hard, doesn't it? It does indeed. It does indeed. And, and, and so this is the, I think, the tr tricky part of the marketplace and why I think it's a bimodal outcome, right? Yeah, so. do you know what's amazing here? Greg, you know, they're over in Jersey City. It's so cold in New York, John. He walked across the Hudson River this morning, skated across. Oh, skated across. Yeah, it's like a Dutch thing. You used to be able to do that in the Victorian times on yeah. the Thames. Yeah. Do you remember that? 
I don't remember that. <laughs> Victorian times. No, right. no. Good to see you. Great right you know, It's that cold, John. It's just a little bit of festive humour that was, Tom. That was very you know. festive, you know. <laughs> you guys have to lay off the eggnog so early in the morning, you know. Well, we, you know. Don't let our secret out here. <laughs> why, why are you telling people that so publicly? <laughs> just a little, what do they call that? You call that a festive tipple, right? You know, just a little drink. Big story in the last 24 hours for its market, the BOJ. This was Eric Nelson of Wells Fargo. He had this to say. Dolly yen uptrend is likely over. More downside ahead. The yen's days as a no-brainer funding currency are likely numbered. Asset managers are likely to unwind short positions further over the next few weeks, driving dolly yen back to 125. This morning in the low 130s, Eric Nelson of Wells Fargo joins us right now. Eric, can we start there? How you think we have to rebalance as we shift away from this old regime? Well, yeah, you've, you've talked a lot this morning, John, and you and the team have talked about the end of an era uh, and various products and, and various paradigm shifts here. One big thing that I noted there on, on the funding currency side, we've had a huge shift from the ECB, the Swiss National Bank, and the BOJ now this year. I think about those are the, really the three big funding currencies uh, for carry traders in the FX market, and they've all just completely shifted on us. So this is really a warning shot here for carry traders. I want to focus on, it's sort of a, an arcane uh, topic maybe for some viewers, but look at the cross between the Mexican peso and the Japanese yen. Provided carry trade returns of 50% up until about two or three weeks ago. We lost about a, a quarter to a third of that in a matter of two weeks. So really, I think for, for 2023, the EM carry trade is really at risk here. And, and frankly, yeah. the G10 carry trade as well. Peso yen, I'm looking here quickly, folks. Peso yen has gone four standard deviations, minus two to plus two in a cup of coffee. Is the dollar going to do the same? Well, naturally, Tom, I think you'll see some unwinds in, in these yen crosses, and that's going to spill over um, to the dollar yen exchange rate. Uh, certainly, if you look at the, the asset manager positions in yen, they have been stickier, and probably up until now, we'll find out from the data next week. Um, but uh, to me, the question for dollar yen is getting back to 120 to 125 will be, I'll say, easy in quotes uh, in the sense that that's sort of like getting from, say, 7% to I 5% agree. on inflation. Yeah. But what about from getting from 5% to 3% on inflation or from 120 right. to 100 on dollar yen? And that's going to be the challenge. That's because nonlinearities here are unreal. Lisa, I just want to stop and say this is what the Bloomberg Terminal is about. We have a guest who talks yen, peso, and I can bring it up in a cup of coffee. That's what the Bloomberg – that's why there's a gazillion of these Bloomberg terminals out there. Just a lot stunning. of people are doing that and looking at some pretty phenomenal moves over the past 48 hours in response to this action from the Bank of Japan. You noted, uh, Eric, that the action that they took – does not necessarily uh, show that the willing is uh, that the bank is going to ease. Just simply that they are willing to act in some sort of shift, but not necessarily <clears throat> a breakup of yield curve control. Given that's the case, what would it take for the yen to appreciate that much more? Why is there so much enthusiasm around the strength of the yen, the confidence of getting inflation under control, if this is just kicking up the uh, the target by 25 bips? Well, Lisa, like I mentioned, there's there's the unwind of the carry trade, and that certainly can can take yen uh, to some extent. The bigger question here is, are we going to see a longer shift in capital flows from Japan? Japan, for 20, 30 years, has been a huge buyer of foreign assets, probably the biggest in the world. Question now is, if we have some real 
positive wage price dynamics taking hold in Japan, and we have some real uh, increase in nominal rates here, is a, a, a substantial amount of money going to come back from abroad back to Japan? That can drive that move from 125 or so down to 100. But crucially, this relies on inflation in Japan continuing, growth uh, remaining quite strong, uh, and the BOJ uh, at least providing a little bit more upward lift uh, in those nominal yields. So, Eric, where are you looking for that? Where are you looking for Japanese demand that supported European bond markets for sure over the last few years and the Treasury market? Where are you looking for that to wane? Well, yeah, John, you mentioned uh, U.S. and European bonds, and, and look at the hedged yield on that. When you when you swap these these returns back into uh, and yen, it's it's really a, a, a brutal picture for Japanese investors buying U.S. Treasuries, uh, buying French bonds. And so this this really accelerates that trend of uh, probably net selling of treasuries and French bonds. Um, you certainly have to also watch for uh, some some asset backed products in the United States, where Japan has historically been a, a pretty big presence. Um, so that's really where I'm focusing my attention. Just to wrap things up, big picture, Eric, I was speaking to Jim Caron and Morgan Stanley just yesterday over the Bloomberg, and I'll catch up with him a little bit later this morning. He's asking the following question, the second order effects of markets leveraged <clears throat> to low and stable yields. Mohamed Alarian brought that up yesterday as well on the programme. Eric, can you tell me what you think those effects will be as we shift away from this regime, leverage to low and stable yields for much of the last 10 years? Well, John, I think central banks really need to be careful here. And, and, and this comes back to why the BOJ has sort of couched this move as not a tightening of policy and there's not more to come. They've increased their buying of, of JGBs because they know just how fragile the BOJ or the, the, the Japanese system is and how leveraged it is to low yields. Um, so you certainly have to watch uh, some of the Japanese banks and their exposure uh, and duration risk. I think the bigger point here, though, John, is central banks, we talk about the end of the central bank put in the equity context. What about the bond context? Yeah. Nearly every central bank is doing quantitative tighten next year. They're hiking pretty aggressively. Um, we, we've really never seen this environment before, especially given our starting point. So got to really watch out for uh, for long-term bond yields in 2023. Hey, Eric, this was wonderful. Thank you, sir. Eric Nelson there of Wells Fargo. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Nisha Sherman joins us now with Bernstein, double degree Wharton, Kellogg, all the rest of it. Forget about it. She enjoyed the trenches at Ross stores with a real job before she ended up in uh, securities analysis. Anisha, thrilled uh, that you're with us. Your note on Nike seems from another planet. Your optimism on their view forward is extraordinary. What does the gloom crew have wrong about the American consumer buying Nike shoes? Um, thank you for having me on. So, so the negative sentiment around Nike going into this quarter was all about the next kind of three to six months. It was about an inventory, North American promotions, the pace of China recovery. If you fast forward six months, the brand is stronger than it's ever been. It has more customers, more sales, more distribution points. Um, it is number one in every market in the world. It continues to hold on to its number one China position, even despite everything that's happened in the last two years. And we saw evidence of that in the print yesterday. I mean, we, you know, we, we're talking about a cautious consumer, but Nike did 30 plus percent constant currency growth in EMEA and in North America in this quarter. Um, now, some of that was lapping a softer quarter last year, but you know, it still shows resilience. It was number one on Tmall in China. There is a path to recovery. So right. I think the gloom and doom is very short term. And if you skip forward the short term <clears throat> difficulties, this is a really strong stock. And these, the stock usually does well in a recession coming out right. of a recessionary environment. So long term, I am very bullish. Anisha, the gentleman from Argentina wears Adidas. The gentleman from France, he have three goals, wears the Nike Zoom Mercurial Superfly 9KM soccer cleats. Do people buy the product? Do they see unit sales because their heroes still wear this stuff? Is that still germane? Yeah, actually, I mean, they, they highlighted, they did not mention Argentina's win, but they did highlight Mbappe's boot, the Mercurial, as one of their best-selling products. Um, it's not just the football boot, it's also the kits, it's also the merch. So it does drive a huge amount of, um, you know, kind of merchandising sales, and both Nike and Adidas, because of this big final, will have benefited from that. As you say merch, I see Tom's eyes light up. He wants merch, and he's been asking for merch for a long time. And I, I, I went to the Tots, and they I were knew. sold out of all the Nike stuff. John showed me the store on the way out, and I was ready to low I, I got I got the Sun jersey for Mrs. King. Try getting the messy jersey now. Yeah, forget about <clears throat> yeah. it. Oof. Yeah, well, I will say that there is a question about whether, Anisha, this is a Nike-specific story and a hero-specific story, or whether this is a broader retail resilience, and the sense that people are going to keep Keep buying there was a lull and then people will go back to the brands that they know and love no i think i i'm not that bullish about the uh, about the broader consumer environment i think i think there is a softening and you see it in the traffic data you see it in the the guidance of many of the companies who just come out of a wave of earnings and though performance in the current quarter has been strong the guidance has been a lot more cautious across the board except for the very hard value retailers and the hard value retailers you know i covered the off pricers they did terribly this year and they're much more bullish about next year but the mainstream and slightly premium retailers are facing the opposite issue and you know when you look at nike's guidance despite the strong performance this quarter they only inched up their guidance a tiny bit because they are being cautious on China and on North America in particular. 
How much do you see consolidation right now, Anisha, around the strongest brands? This idea that we've been waiting for this washout in retail for so long, and suddenly we might actually see something more like the wave of consolidation, the, if you will, Tom's phrase, zombie roll-up, that a lot of people have been looking for in this sector. We see it every time we come out of a recession. So if you look at the numbers coming out of the GFC, Nike was the single biggest share gainer in North America. If you look at the numbers even more recently coming out of COVID, you know, 2019 to 2021, Nike was the single biggest share gainer. And the share losers are the tier two, tier three brands. Some of them closed down stores, some of them shut down entirely. So there is a share reallocation and being the biggest in the market gives you that outsized benefit when you get your fair share. So I expect it to be more coming out of rather than going into a recessionary environment. But yes, I mean, that's part of the reason why in the sportswear sector, strong brands do better because they tend to consolidate share over time, particularly when the market is coming out of an area of weakness. Anisha Sherman of Bernstein. Anisha, thank you. Just wonderful. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.